here. We're uh, going with episode 101, which is the continuation of last week's long conversation. But with me, cities are for visiting and then leaving and getting back out to the <laughs> to the countryside. Oh, this is living right here. Yeah, yeah. It's like my favorite view of Chicago is in my rearview mirror. <laughs> it's lovely to visit. The food is wonderful. You 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 can almost pick a restaurant at random, and the food is going to be wonderful. I mean, just it, it's it's fun to visit, but it's even nicer to head home. You know that that downtown area, and there's a lot of inner city or like. My niece lives in an area where it's very small yards, but it has a different feeling to it than where you are in West Dallas. Yeah, I mean it, that that area where she lives is very like it's high density, like it's single family homes, but it is very high density. Yeah, you can well, lean out the kitchen Chicago window and townhouses. I mean, the, the houses are lovely, but yeah, you if you're lucky, you've got like an 18 inch gap between you and the next house over, right. and you have yeah, you know, like a 10 by 10 yard, 10 by 10 yard yard out the back, uh, and probably have to park on the street. It's, it's yeah, yeah. Or, or if you do have a a place to park, it's you know, the down behind a, the house, a grungy in the alley, alley yep. yeah, which is the case actually at our house in West Dallas. We have a an alley where the garage is, and one thing that I've discovered, which is really nice about being in the alley, is that the garbage cans can just stay where they are because they can get picked up in the alley, and I throw the garbage away in the alley, and so I don't have to drag them okay. to the front curb. Right in week, Lansing, which is pretty nice, or in Dodgeville. Which isn't that big of a deal. Yeah, if you forget, then you're yeah, then you're a full garbage can, and you got a week to wait. That's true. It's really it'd be really bad if I miss a recycling day, because they only come every two weeks. Uh So if you miss your recycling day, you got problems. And you know we're fortunate here because we just take it out, both recyclable and non-recyclable. Yes, which is very nice. And I do get reminded because of Alex across the street. He's up and gone to work, and then you put yours off the night before. I do. And Rick next door here is the night before. Not to worry. Even when I get dementia, and as, as I said in the last podcast, the next time Anthony and Christy and Kristen move, I hope I have dementia, so I... Don't remember what a pain it was. Oh, I have it. <laughs> too. But it was so hot that day. Yeah, oh my it's gosh. Like 95 degrees. Pretty humid. Bad. That's you always know, fun. It would be better if it was sub zero because at least you could close the door. We had that conversation of like, what is the worst weather to move in? And is it like 95 and humid? Is it rain is it snow or is it freezing weather like what's the worst weather to move in i think i would vote for rain because most of your stuff you're gonna have in cardboard boxes and they're gonna get wet Mm -hmm. i still i mean i see that and like moving in the rain is not fun and like you say your boxes get wet maybe the cushions of your couch get wet i think i'd prefer 
grain over 95 in humidity. Think about the rain. If it's like this, it's no big deal. You're not going to have a solid downpour for hours. You could just put everything on hold. Where I come from, you can indeed have a solid downpour for hours or all day or even several days well, in a row. Well, then you better pick another day to move. <laughs> so you don't often really get to pick the day you move. Yeah, true. That's yeah. the problem. Oh, man, I remember. Well, you no do, one, but it's usually no so far in advance you don't know what the weather's going to no be. No one would move during bad weather yeah. if they had got to choose. Yeah. Well, what about in Madison where your kids were homeless for a day? Mm-hmm. That was a nightmare. I remember having two vans and a another vehicle full of Kristen stuff moving from one apartment to another. That is a... Uh, like, they should do some sort of sociological study on the weekend when leases end and begin in Madison, where people will literally put their stuff out on the lawn and sleep there so that they can get into their new apartment the next day. And then the other really cool thing about that weekend in Madison is the garbage trucks. They have, like, a claw attachment, like a, like a mechanical arm with a claw that will, like, pick up couches, crush them, and then throw them into the compactor in the back of the garbage, you know, the garbage I've truck. never saw that or heard about that. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome to watch a couch just get, like, cubed in 30 seconds. I would, I would enjoy watching that. <laughs> or all that, that be... cheap furniture, all that cheap particle yeah. board furniture. Oh, yeah. All that's left is dust in the air <laughs> in a cube. Dropping. Oh man! You know, for student digs, they uh, they went as cheap as they could go. Oh yeah. Well, it's, usually it's college. You know, it's yeah. like I'm moving to this new apartment, and I just don't want to take my this book shelf or this chair, and I'm just going to leave it on the curb. And either somebody, you know, if it's in good enough shape, somebody will come by with a pickup truck and grab it, or if it's not, the next day the garbage truck will come by and crush it. Yeah, there it goes. <laughs> yeah, college sofas, you know, they're pretty much what mom and dad want to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Or they're cheap. Yeah. Oh, by, uh, warehouse furnitures or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't have any good furniture in college. It was all junky stuff. The only furniture I had, I still have. That was that walnut bar. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, they furnished us with desks and uh, beds, but I stayed in the dormitory. Well, yeah, years. and that's the difference, too, between, uh, you know, I've, some colleges have different rules or a different, like, culture where right. you spend four years in the dorm. Or, yep. Like in Madison, you spend the first year in the dorm, and then you usually move out and get in. There's very few sophomores who stick around in the dorms. And I'd say there are very few people who spend all four years in the dorms at Madison. That's right. And there's a pattern to it, too. It's like, you know, when you're a freshman and you're looking for an apartment for the first time, you don't really know what you're getting. So there's, like, there's different neighborhoods that are, you know, those are the, like, the sophomore slums. It's the apartments that this, like, a lot of sophomores find themselves in. And then you, your junior and senior year where you know a little bit more about who the rental companies are and what the properties look like, and you can get yourself into a better situation. Correct. So with you, was it first few years in the dorm, or one year in the dorm, and then out in the dorm? Well, I had a different adventure altogether, 
because I got kicked out of college after my freshman year. And I was, I was asked not to return because my GPA was too low, according oh. to them. According to them. But you still got back and got your degree and so all I you had, want. Yeah, I spent my technically my sophomore year back in Milwaukee living with my dad and doing uh, classes at the community college. Mm-hmm. And then I got readmitted to Wisconsin for my junior year. Um, and then I, I mean, I did five and a half years total, including the year of community college. So like four and a half years at Madison and like a year at community college. But did you find yourself in the sophomore slums or were you... No, because I was always moving back to Madison as a junior and still, you know, had friends who were juniors. And so I, I had a somewhere in between like a sophomore slum apartment and like a, an okay place to be for junior year. And then my like apartments for the next few years were I had uh, one year it was a flat in a house across the street from Camp Randall, and then one year we had a house, and then my last year I had a, a one bedroom apartment because all my friends had graduated and left, and I was still there. <laughs> the long duck. Yeah. So the sophomore slums, where would you? say they're located or were I mean, they dispersed it, yeah i mean it's a little bit some of it's dispersed but a lot of it is between like park and randall and then like um in the like region area so like the older homes not even though it's like the they're almost like townhouses or like row row houses um like right like right behind the railroad tracks there um, between Regent Street and those railroad tracks. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, a, gotcha, like gotcha. That is a prime area for sophomores. They're just like, you know, apartments that needed new carpeting 15 years ago and stains from every bodily fluid probably. And <laughs> <laughs> every party that happened. Yeah. Every so. every different kind of alcohol. You probably wring the carpets out and make yourself a nice Long Island iced tea. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not a good situation. <laughs> and you know the thing is, every big university was the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Things, I mean, things started to change, too, when I was in college. Like, where they're, they're building these high-rises, like, you know, 12 or 13-story buildings with much, like, they're, like, high upscale apartments. But they're also, you know... I mean, when I was there, you'd be in, like, a four-bedroom apartment in one of those high-rises, but, like, the total rent would be something astronaut like five thousand dollars a month so you're all paying like twelve hundred a month for wow. your one bedroom plus all the shared common space so it's, i think a lot of the apartment situations student apartments are kind of trending in that direction where all these high-rise apartment buildings almost pricing themselves out of kids going to school i mean i don't know that's i, I mean the housing market is so bizarre in some of the like in some of these places where it's you know they they build these mixed use you know apartment complexes there with you know five or six floors and the and the bottom floor is supposed to be you know filled with retail or something or a restaurant and, you know they call it it's like mixed use um, but they're too nice like they they're unaffordable for most regular people and you know they they have they're not building the type of housing that is like 
need it. So, yeah, Madison's done a lot of that. They, uh, for, oh, I don't remember, like five, ten years ago, there was just a huge glut in condominiums. Mm -hmm. And so the companies realized this and started converting their, their condo buildings into rental or, or apartments. Mm -hmm. Uh, because people didn't want to buy condos. Yeah. But they sure like approving them and building them in, in Madison. Yeah. So. Well, and they, there's that projected thought of getting the tax income. Yeah. Thus, you know, increasing the cost of rentals. Right. Well, in Madison's problem is sometimes it's geographical, where, like, the same... You think about the size of that city, it has a lot more buildings that are 10 to 15 stories tall than a city of the same size elsewhere. Uh, because you know, because downtown is on that isthmus, and so they're restricted in terms of like it's it's harder to grow out Correct. than to grow up. And they, I mean, it's the same way like you, know, you would you if you go and visit Pittsburgh, you'd think that this is a very like this is a big city. But I think the population of Pittsburgh is something like three hundred or four hundred thousand. It's smaller than Milwaukee, but it because of the downtown has grown up because it's very like you know the uh, Monongahela and the um, the other river that meets together and forms the Ohio. So they're in that peninsula, those two rivers, and then also kind of like in a bowl surrounded by the mountains, and so it's grown very much up because it can't grow out. And, you know, versus a city like Milwaukee, which even though it has the lake on one side, it's very easy to just, like, continue to grow westward. Or north and south. Or, yeah, and yeah. so it, it looks like a much smaller city than Pittsburgh, but in reality it's bigger. Right, anytime you have a city with a valley in it, or like yeah. Madison, which is an unusual situation where you have the lakes, yeah. you're, like, you're restricted. You know, New York on an island. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, it's, versus you know, something like Philadelphia... Where they have a lot more space to grow outwards. Right. It's interesting to think about how like the geography of an area kind of dictates how a city grows. Yeah. Well, isn't that kind of your field of interest? You know, waterways and. I mean, some of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, like it's, it's a lot of the like physical environment is sort of dictates how people have lived and moved around in this country for the you know, last 400 years and how, um, like, to me, transportation plays, like, a really interesting role on that where it was, you know, the waterways were the earliest form of, you know, where you could get long distances in a relatively short amount of time. And then, you know, as technology increases, they say, well, maybe we can make artificial rivers, you know, canals. And so that, you know, the areas where you could actually feasibly build a canal become more important and more people sort of funnel through those areas. And then you see that, you know, then the railroad did an interesting thing where, you know, it's like twofold, like the railroad either builds in a straight line from point A to point B or it tries to steal the commerce and the traffic from a waterway and builds along the waterway, kind of parallels either the canal or the river. Uh, and then, you know, 
the next transportation layer on top of that is roads, and most of the roads just parallel the old interstate or the old highway system, where you know, it's like it's very interesting to either take the train or drive through Montana or like through the Dakotas and through Montana. Right, Interstate 90 basically parallels the old Trans-Pacific Railroad, which basically parallels the route of the Missouri River through most of that area. And you can just see like these... Well, because they would, the railroad would want to follow the, the least hilly path. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the criteria... Uh, that's mm-hmm. a good criteria for road... Sele- you know, area selection as well. So I mean, that that would be a smart railroad. Some railroads yeah. are like, let's dig a tunnel through this mountain, and <laughs> then it is not the path of least resistance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. But it it is very interesting the effect of geography on uh, uh, people's location. So the geopolitics mm-hmm. part, where where people live uh, in in England. Uh, you know, back in the back in the day, so like you know, more you know, north of two hundred years ago, um, most people didn't ever get further than fifty miles away from where they were born, mm-hmm. uh, which shows up very strongly in England in the the large number of dialects because. Mm-hmm. Everybody would live in the same area, so the, the dialect would, would uh, be very strong. Not many people made it more than 50 miles to, to go over to a different place. Mm-hmm. Um, this country, yeah, there was a certain amount of, of staying put on the East Coast, so there's definitely some very strong accents there. But then with transportation, people just took off and, and, and went, and so you've got to go... A state or two before people start sounding that much more different than, than where you were. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, and then you look at some of the the settlings here. There's your in Chicago thing, an example. You've got your Italian section. You've got your Greek section. Uh, whatever ethnic group you're, Ukrainian, you're Bohemian, and that's where they would settle. And it would be I don't know, ten block area. And there'd be another yeah. community, the Italian section, yeah, to that. I mean, and that was a result of like what they call chain migration. Is that the first brave person would leave Germany or Italy or whatever, and they'd figure out a place to live. Either it, it was either you stayed put in New York or Boston or Philadelphia, or you found your way to the Midwest. And it was either you know Chicago or Cincinnati or Milwaukee or any of these other or Eastman or Dodgeville yeah. and and those communities were Dodgeville was Cornish yeah because it would because it would be that the first brave soul and then they'd write back to Germany or Italy and they'd be like I found this town and, and they get that a year later right. here and you know. I, I think that's right for most but here especially with with Mineral Point the Cornish were brought in for their mining skills. Mm-hmm. So that, that wasn't quite the same. Yeah. I, I think your general point is completely yeah. correct, but, but here the Cornish were brought in for their mining skills. Yeah. Well, and right, and there's similar examples. But then, the, of that. But then although the, the initial reason is different, yeah, there's a the follow up effect. Oh, there's a bunch of Cornish people there. Well, we'll go there. Yeah. <laughs> Can get so, good pasties. Similar <laughs> examples in, you know, in, like in California where you had um, a lot of South American immigrants who were 
shuttled in during the gold rush because they knew how to mine you know, from Chile or Argentina or like, and they would end up in California to be miners or you know another good example would be I mean it's not it's not a fun example but all of the Chinese people who were brought in to build railroads in the right West. Mm-hmm. and that's why they're you know, not only because obviously California is closer to China than the East Coast is but there's also you know a lot more people of Asian descent or Chinese people on the West Coast than there are anywhere else in the country correct yeah Yeah, all those historical, uh, not accidents, but just circumstances. So, Excuse me, we need to replenish beverages. Would you like another iced coffee, sir? Uh, Oh, sure. Sure. And then I shall regale you with tales of the new tea podcast. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, you can (laughs) sing songs right now while I'm gone. I may just edit this bit down. (laughs) Unless Anthony says something particularly oh. uh, amazing, but no pressure. That seems <laughs> unlikely. Uh, yeah, I always enjoyed geography. My, of course, my father was a uh, a navigator in the British Royal Navy, so maps were something that there were never in short supply in our house. Yes, uh, my father would sit down and read a map like most people would read a book. He'd just mm-hmm. be looking at him, just yeah, taking it all in and. Uh, I don't claim to be as good as him, but I love maps. I love the old-fashioned yeah. paper maps. Well, and, and it, they're so... Like, the history of cartography like that is also mm-hmm. very interesting, where you know, everyone just assumes, like, a map just shows you where things are. Which is true to an extent. Yeah. But, like, you can draw or create a map that can change or alter the way someone thinks about what that map is, like, telling them. Yeah. Where if you, you know... It's what you emphasize. Yeah. And then with world maps, you've got mm. uh, projections to take into account. Because mm. How do you want to, to project this? And most people get used to the, and I, I can't even remember the names, it's like Mercator yeah, or Mercator, whichever one it is, yeah. th- that makes Greenland look huge. Right. It's like the size of, it looks like it's the size of Africa. Almost, yeah. But it's yeah. like an eighth of the size of Africa or yes. even smaller than I mean, it's, it's, it's still a pretty good yeah, size island. But it's, it's not a continent. Yeah, it looks bigger than Australia. <laughs> and Australia <laughs> is, is, you know, the largest mm-hmm. island, uh, maybe the smallest continent, but it's the largest island. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I, I love maps. Uh, yeah. And I can, I can read them, I can, I can navigate with, with paper maps. Uh, I used to be very good. I'm probably a little rusty, but I think I could probably still get from A to B. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the contour lines and looking at things. Oh, okay, that's oh. going to be a hill like this. It's going to have to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's all good stuff. Yeah, I like that. Um, and then, of course, in, in England, we have very good maps because we have the Ordnance Survey. Have you heard of the Ordnance Survey? I have not. Okay, so they are. That's an official government department. Or actually, I think it started out as an official government department. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dad. I think they <laughs> spun it out into a uh, uh, into its own company. Mm. Um, but the ordnance survey, the ordnance part, yes, it means ordnance. These yeah. were these were produced by the military yeah. because if England had ever been invaded by those rapscallions in France, <laughs> we wanted to have really good maps so we could hide. Spanish. 
Uh, well, the, the Spanish tried. tried yeah. <laughs> All kinds of people have tried, but uh, last time we were invaded was uh, 1066. It, we've we've held on pretty good since then. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we wanted to know. Okay, if 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 they invade and they're in this place, can we hide behind the hill? Because hiding behind the hill, back in the day, was a, was a very good military strategy, and lob, you know, cannons. Thank you, sir. Lob cannon shot over the hill. Mm -hmm. uh, we would know where they were. We could calculate. Okay, you'd need this elevation and, and all that good stuff, and, and we would be able to. If we knew where the enemy was camped, we would be able to attack them from places that they didn't know about, uh, and, and hence the Ordnance Survey. So, uh, it's kind of a similar um, to the way things developed here in the United States, where yeah, the military played a, a really big role in mapping right. the country. Really had those I think like part of that was they just copied what England did because they were used to doing that. And, and maybe you know there were there were things. Like, okay, England does this. We don't like that. We'll do it differently. But you know what? That 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 works. It's not broken. Let's just do that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's basically the um, like the the northwest. So now you've got the word ordinance in my head, and it's confusing. <laughs> it's a word that sounds very much like ordinance. Um, but this is basically, historians joke, this is the only thing that the Continental Congress ever accomplished in the years during the, like the first constitution, which was the Articles of Confederation, mm -hmm. which were obviously a disaster, and we wrote a new constitution. I'm, I'm reading the, uh, 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 the, the federal, whatever. Uh, the Federalist Papers? Federalist Papers, okay. that's it. Yeah, I'm reading that now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so the, this was essentially the law that was supposed to be the way that all of the Western territories were going to be organized. Which is why, you know, in out east, there's, um, I mean, you know, some cities still have this grid system, but the rest of the state is kind of more wonky. Whereas the counties... More English-style wiggly roads. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> whereas the counties west of the Appalachians... And cities and the way things are all laid out, much more modular and, and, and on a grid. Uh, and so, you know, it's basically like, you know, each section is 16 square miles, or like 16, 64 square miles, or, you know, it's just, there's a lot of, it's all split into these right. smaller and smaller and that, um, that's your lots. townships, and then yeah. you have the cities usually right. in the middle each, of that. Yeah, yeah, and each lot in the township, there's one that is, you know, designated for a school, uh, and then there's other ones that are designated for other, you know, public functions. Um, and so, the, you know, once they passed this act, um, they had to figure out a way of who's going to go out there and map all of this then, and so that you can sell each little parcel of land and know where, you know, if you bought land from the federal government in Ohio, then you had to be able to, like, go and find that actual piece of land. So did you have to find somebody that would tell you where to be, or was, was there somebody that got mad because you were in their spot? Well, so that, I mean, the history of squatters in the West is very interesting. Like, it, that is a whole different, like, you could go on and on about squatters in 
in places um, in this country. But basically, you know, they sent the, the U.S. Army Corps of Topographical Engineers to go and map all of these new land, you know, all of the new federal land that they were going to sell. Is that basically the forerunner of surveyors? Yes, they, okay. yeah, they did all the surveying. Um, and believe it or not, there is actually a group who reenact they're like like Civil War reenactors, but they are reenactors of the U.S. Army Corps of Topographical Engineers. Oh wow! And uh, I guess they, you know, they go out there with their chain and rod and map something and survey something. And this is, the, I guess, the fun way they want to spend their weekend. They have absolutely no imagination. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Apparently, they all need new hobbies. Yeah. <laughs> You know, boring people if that is their hobby. I mean, I don't know. It sounds fun. Because you, like, you take an example of, like, okay, well, this is, um... I've been with you on weekends, and you have different fun than Well, I do, but I'm saying, like, (laughs) I could see how it could be fun where, um, you know, you say, oh, this guy in 1832 mapped the western edge of Lake Superior. And so we're going to look at his, you know, all the notes and stuff that he left behind. And then we're going to go up there and do it uh, do it as well. And, like, I could see how that's... So a, you're a traveling theme. show. Well, I mean, no, I don't mean. think anyone goes to watch them do it. Well, no, but they would do it as... They would do it under the canvas of... Let's go camp here. Let's yeah. Go, oh, okay. Well, I could see how that would be fun. Yeah, you know, they camp out in the woods and they... And, you know, that was, that was a challenge before the... The arrival of GPS, which is really only oh, yeah. you know, a couple of, of decades old, um, I saw something on YouTube about there were these metal markers scattered all across the United States that people used. Those were very well-defined locations, mm-hmm. and then you could map from them. Yeah, you start you start with what they call the point of beginning. Yes, which I think was somewhere in Kansas, wasn't it? There's all different. There's a there's many different. Or at least the original one, yeah. Then they like, change. It depends, things. like what the point of beginning of what survey. Right. But they always start with, and so they usually build like a, like a, something that you could, would be able to find again, like a mm-hmm. big mound of dirt, and they're like, okay, this is the spot that from every everything else is measured then from this spot. Yeah, and then you start out and you have your chain and your yeah. Well, we so in England we have what we call trig points or, or trigonometrical points, and they're usually on high points or if you're somewhere low, somewhere that's easy to see from from other points. Mm-hmm. And so the whole of England is divided into triangles. So you've got, you know, like on Bobman Moor, which you can see from my parents' house, it's it's, it's a high point in that part of Cornwall. There's a trig point right on the top of it, and then, then you know the next hill over. There's going to be a trig point on the top of that one, yeah. uh, and they've they've actually got the little markers where you you put your whatever the the thing with the the, uh, the little telescope on it, so you can look at the other one and measure the exact angle, and yeah. Uh, yeah so they would do all of their official map work from those reference points. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all really just made up, is the, the yes? Because if you so if you have but, but you know, you, you hopefully can, it's helpful to to <laughs> us humans. But, but yeah, it's made up. But in the sense that 
Because the good Lord forgot to make all the countries (laughs) square. In all the rivers, even if they were square. Yes, that would have been very helpful. Even even if they were square, (laughs) they would also have to be completely flat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because if you, you know, so if you think you have, so you have, from looking from above, you know, one mile on each side, perfectly square, doesn't take into account that that the actual area of that square may not be one square mile because if it's on it's a, a hill yep. then you it'd be bigger than a square mile or a hill where it's up and down and up and down mm-hmm. there's yep. more you get more surface area correct so it's really all it's all made up you you think you own an acre but you might not own an acre and it'd be less yeah <laughs> well hopefully not less but yeah i, I see your point uh, <laughs> Yeah, so that, that kind of stuff is interesting. Uh, oh, another thing that uh, I found a little strange when I came here is the definition of cities mm. between England and America. Because Dodgeville is a city, yet we have yes. just over 5,000 mm. population. Oh, it's less than that on the sign. Yeah, but I, I, I've heard we are finally over 5,000, but maybe not. But anyway, so... Yeah. boom. Could be. Um, so let's just call it 5,000 to round the numbers. So we've got Dodgeville, and it's a city. And it lives inside one of those squares that you were talking about, and that's mm-hmm. a township. Well, in England, pretty much everything's a town, unless it's so incredibly small we call it a village or a hamlet. Mm-hmm. To be a city, there are strict requirements. You have to have a cathedral. Okay. It is no cathedral, <laughs> no city, <laughs> which then makes for some very interesting uh, oddities, because in Cornwall, right down the southwest of England, uh, I lived there. I lived in the city of Truro. Truro is a very small city. It, it's probably bigger than Dodgeville, but not much. But it has a cathedral. So, bless God, it's a city. <laughs> it might be the small. I don't know if it's the smallest, but it's one of the smallest okay, in so the whole of the United Kingdom, but it's a city, and don't you disrespect it. What makes a, a church a cathedral in England? Uh, you know, that's an excellent do question. Do we have any cathedrals in Dodgeville? A lot of, a lot of churches. No, we do not have any cathedrals in Dodgeville. No, I, and you know, I... That's one of those things where you can pretty much look at it and go, yeah, that's a cathedral. Like a big church is a cathedral. There's a, a big church in Highland. One got burned down, there were two big oh, okay. churches. So I'm wondering, would they be considered a cathedral? Our church is big-ish, but I'm not going to claim it's a cathedral. I mean, large in size. Right. They're yeah, usually they're... very ornate as well. Like, have you ever driven past the, uh, I think it's called the... Basilica, uh, I don't know. it's in Milwaukee, and you can see it from the interstate, and it is like it's got a dome, like Yezu. Roof. Would hmm. that be considered a cathedral, like Yezu, Marquette's uh, cathedral, or probably not? Oh, the, I think that that cathedrals are designated by like the Catholic Church, like they decide what is. Be, well, not in England, they wouldn't. Well, no, no, right. no, that would be the Church of England would do any <laughs> designation. Yeah, just fake cath- 
fake Catholicism. <laughs> wow. You don't have to get into that. Yeah, that, that's, that's okay. political. <laughs> Church political, which is even worse. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. man. Um, look so. out there, the lightning. Look at the clouds. There could be lightning coming out. We could get zapped and vaporized, and that'd be the end of the podcast. But, but now you now you got me curious. I'll have to I'll have to look up and and see what oh, your dad how, Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if cathedrals are as uh, specialist subject. How, what is the definition of a cathedral? That I've never thought of that. It's just one of those, I'll know it when I see it. Yeah. I think, and I could be wrong, in the Catholic religion, a cathedral is the diocese headquarters. So there's one cathedral in the diocese. So there could, That could also be a chicken and egg situation though. Right, yeah. but there's yeah. five five dioceses I think in in Wisconsin. So there mm-hmm. is one archdiocese which is the biggest one. Mm-hmm. I think that's Milwaukee. Yeah. And there's four other ones and they each have one cathedral. In Dubuque, I don't know how many cathedrals there are or dioceses, but the archdiocese is in Dubuque. Okay, mm. according to Wikipedia. Okay. All right. <laughs> I understand Wikipedia is not a uh, Wikipedia is first excellent. source. You, you can't quote is. it as a first source. A uh, cathedral is a church that contains the seat of a bishop. There you go, you're right. Thus serving as the central church of a diocese conference or episcopate. Alright. Try saying that with the mouthful of Episcopate? Yes. Churches with the function of cathedral are usually specific to those Christian denominations with an Episcopal hierarchy, such as Anglican, Catholic, (laughs) Eastern Orthodox, and some Lutheran churches. So yes, uh, you're not going to find many UPCI cathedrals. We don't do that. Okay. So there you go. So Um, I guess that ends that discussion and questions. So now we know. If the bishop sits there, it's a cathedral. All right, what's our next subject? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've been chatting for quite a while. We have. Uh, We may have to split this one in two. We may have. That's okay. Yeah. 100th and 100th and 1st. So... Well, Anthony, I tell you what, it's great to have you and Kristen and Edwin back in Wisconsin. Yeah, it's good to be back. A lot of journeys, a lot so of home. ups and downs and bumps, and but so you're here. He's happy, yeah. and what a last great 48 hours with that little guy. It was fun. What a last great 48 hours without that little guy. I know, now you're, <laughs> you've been re-energized. <laughs> Kids are wonderful, but every so often you just need a oh, little you break. you love them to death, but sometimes you want to give them to the gypsies and go away. <laughs> yep. I thought that many a time. And you, yeah, you, you're the gypsy that came along and took one off my hands. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and what yeah. about you? You're still waiting for some gypsy to come along to take your kids away? Except... Uh, the littlest. <laughs> yeah, probably. Peter, probably shouldn't try to still... get Peter married off yet. Yeah. No. I... no. Uh... Now, if we were in England, would he already have someone picked out for him at the age of eight? No. 
Okay. When does that start? What age? What does what start? What? Well, when... Arranged marriages? Yes. Uh, the royals. We... Oh, the royals might do that. Anthony is leaving us because he has to say goodnight to Edwin. He hasn't seen him. So goodnight for two nights. We'll close without you, Anthony. Okay. All right. It has been a wonderful weekend with my grandson, Edwin. Our, I will call him the miracle child. I think that's a, that's a good description for him. Well, yes. he is. He was a great kid, great character, uh, did a lot of fun things outside, loves the outdoors at two and a half years old, likes looking for birds and rabbits. We were rabbit hunting today in the rain. Uh, he loved being out in the rain. Did he admire your uh, plants, your lupins? He wasn't around for the lupins. Lupins are gone now. Oh, okay. But right. you know what I like? It was just dumb luck that what I planted happened to blossom at different times of the year. Hmm. The lupin came up and now the hollyhocks are coming up. The delphini has been blooming for 10 days now and it's still not going to stop. Uh, the plants on the front driveway are looking good. You know, there's some that popped up. The purple ones popped up and the orange. Now the yellow are coming and now another purple as the orange and the yellow die down. I, and then you also have your annuals that are good for all summer long. And Lisa deadheads them, so they keep on looking good. Yes, they all look very lovely. Very fortunate to be retired and being able to maintain the presence of our community with what we have. Amen. Amen. Oh, I was going to tell you. Well, I can. We can. We can talk about it next time. But the T podcast is. We're nearly launched. The website's oh. there. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, so. yeah, we, we we'll, we'll tell you about that. that next time. Yes, and I was going to ask because you about we that. Were going Maybe, and we should have Pastor Jim over for the next time so we could talk about that too. We could. We but could. you know, he's so well structured where you and I he, and Anthony he will were, keep us in line. Well, he yes, will. yes. <laughs> he's very focused. Oh, he Pastor is. Pastor Jim, thank you for keeping us focused when you're with us. Yes. He's so not like us. Yeah, I, I was never that way in high school or college or whatever, even in life. Yes. Uh, but that's he, the way uh, it is. He he keeps he keeps me organized on the the T podcast. So we've we've done an, an introductory introductory lesson and three or no, less an introduction and three episodes, and now I've got to start submitting the information to things like the. Apple podcast sites. Are the, when people go looking for podcasts, they'll they'll find our information. Okay. Have they found us yet, or have they found <laughs> us and say, uh, "We'll look for you next time"? <laughs> <laughs> well, a few people have found us. Um, so yes, the the T is called expertise. Oh, expertise. Okay. Expertise. Yes, Jim came up with that. All right. Well, that's a good one. Thank you, Jim. We are we're close to. Uh, we're we're probably close enough to launch. I I need to submit the information to the the podcast search engines, but we're we're basically ready to launch. Uh, Emily is nearly finished with designing our cool logo. Uh, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, and 
so yeah I'll give you more information next time we get together but uh, but that's coming along so that that will be fun it's kind of my new hobby is podcasting it, it's it's just fun I don't know if I have any new hobbies or not I'm too old for that I just do what I just do well so that's, how is that's that nice coffee too. that's pleasant yes you know what I've done is I make two pots, so I drink some in the morning, Lisa drinks some, and I say to Lisa, I'd like another pot. So I make some, and half is left, so I pour it in a pitcher, put it in the refrigerator, and then we have iced coffee for the afternoon. Yes, we, we do a similar thing, except that Kate is uh, responsible mostly for drinking all of the, the iced coffee before I get to it, so you know, oh, that's her job. Drank, well, it's not. It's one that she's taken on voluntarily. Oh, okay. Uh, so if I make coffee and it doesn't all get drunk, whatever is left gets put in a, a container and then in a refrigerator. And usually, Kate has drunk it before I get to it. I'm like, oh, hey, we had some coffee left over. Maybe I'll have a nice coffee. Open the refrigerator. Oh, Kate got there first. So then you go to your tea. <laughs> so then I have a cup of tea. Yes. <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> All right. Well, you want to close this out? Well, it's time to say Vitor's uh, in and good night from 512 West Fountain Street on a rainy evening in Dodgeville. Thank you very much for listening. All right. And with that, we are out.